Welcome to the Relaunch Your Career podcast. I'm your host, Leah Lambert, career and interview coach and founder of Relaunch Me, where we help you find the work that you were meant to do. Today, I'm speaking with Kate Norris, who started her career working in finance and data analytics before identifying a gap in the market, helping technically minded professionals deliver energetic and engaging data presentations. Kate is now half of Presentation Boss, where she and her business partner, Thomas Kraft, teach technical professionals to hone their message, create beautiful data visualizations, and communicate their findings in a clear and succinct way. Kate also co-hosts the Presentation Boss podcast, which I highly recommend to anyone looking to improve their presentation and storytelling skills. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Kate, would you be able to start? I always like to start off from the beginning. Could you tell us how you started your career and how you first came to choose that pathway? I think I've always been a um, numbers person and I um, took a gap year after school and decided to work for a year. I thought I'd save some money and then decide what I wanted to do. Um, so that lasted for 11 years. I just kind of never, never left that um, company, which was fine. And I just, um, I really liked numbers. So I kind of gravitated towards the financial and analytics numbery kind of roles. So in that role, Kate, you were working firstly as a commercial analyst and then as a safety data analyst for Energex. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you describe what a typical day would be like working in a data analyst type role? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess there's two parts of a data analytics role. There's the data analytics part and then there's the communication part. So finding the problem or the opportunity and then communicating what that actually is. And they're, um, I believe, equally weighted if importance. Um, so each period, whether that's a month or a year, or if you're looking at a specific time frame, um, you look at the data that's coming through and try and make some sense of it. So there's some exploratory exploratory work, like looking for any patterns or anything that's particularly sitting outside of a pattern. Um, and I guess, like anything that's pattern driven, a lot of familiarity certainly helps. There's a lot of Computer work, I guess, a mix of Excel. I'm um, one of those weird people that likes Excel. Um, I mean, if you can see my coffee mug, it <laughs> literally says, I love spreadsheets. Someone bought it for me. That is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Excel and other kind of data software. So some of it's a little bit more manual, um, exploratory, and then some's using that software to look at dashboards or reports to um, find any trends, I guess. So that's, I guess, the bulk of the work in the analysis side is that exploratory side. And then the second part after that is the communication, as I said. So speaking to stakeholders, um, whoever kind of is responsible for that data essentially about um, if what I've found is relevant to them and valuable or alternatively, it's the opposite where you sometimes have to explain to them why something you've found is valuable and why it may be more important than they realise. Um, so I guess that's the two parts, is the finding and then the telling of it. 
That's really interesting. And I, I often say to people, it's not just about spreadsheets, that it, they also need people who can communicate and tell a story from the data, which is obviously yeah. what you excel at. Um, can I just ask you a couple of questions about data analysts sort of work? So often people sort of, I guess, uh, balk when I suggest something like a data analyst role because they think it will be sitting in front of, of a computer screen you know, 100% of the day, are you sitting in front of a computer screen most of the time or is there a bit of a mix in attending meetings, et cetera? Oh, it's hugely varied. There is some computer time for sure. I would say it's 50%. I really don't think it's hugely much more than that because you've got to do a lot of speaking to your stakeholders. You've got to speak to the people who are providing the data, who own the data. Um, and I mean, the two environments that I worked in, I worked in finance, so that was the commercial aspect. You're looking at transactions and um, things that are coming through. But in safety, I was looking at something that was a little bit more qualitative. So you've got, like, incidents that are coming through or hazards or risks that have been identified, and they usually require a lot of talking to people to understand what you're actually looking at. And I guess if you look at the purpose of a data analytics role, the purpose is to provide management with insight into what's happening so that they can make better decisions. And I think it's a really exciting role because you get to see so much of a particular part of a business and you get to speak to people, you get to ask these questions and understand things at a really deep level. So I don't think it's it's not that nerdy kind of backroom, dark IT um, kind of role at all. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And I, I agree from talking to some data analysts and, and actually meeting them, that's sort of the impression that I've got. So I was interested in your view. Another yeah. question, for, uh, if someone was interested in moving into data analysis, perhaps from a completely different area, would you say that they need to have a strong maths background or whether that would help? I think there does need to be a little bit of formal education in terms of that statistical analysis and understanding numbers. I don't think you necessarily need to be great at maths. Um, you don't need to have a you know maths background particularly, but I think you do need to be quite comfortable with numbers. I think anybody can be comfortable. I think it's purely down to confidence. I think people yeah. are actually better than they usually think they are. It's usually a confidence issue there. Interesting. So you were with Energex for a long time and then you left to start your business presentation boss with your business partner, Thomas Craft. Can you tell us what led you to think about starting your own business? Yeah, well, um, it was actually a couple of years between that. I left Energex because I um, was dropping my daughter to daycare at like 6.30 in the morning and she was two at the time and then I'd pick her up at five o'clock. And so I'd basically get, you know, two hours with her in the day and half of that was just, you know, witching hour at night and in the morning be like, get up, get dressed, breakfast, let's go. And it was not a life. You know, I didn't want to do that forever and, you know, we're thinking about maybe having more kids. Um, I thought this is, this is not a way to, this is not a nice lifestyle. So um, I left not really knowing what I wanted to do in hindsight, maybe a bit silly. I think it's good to have a really good think about that. 
beforehand. So it was about another year or two. Um, I kind of dabbled in online businesses and realized that that's extremely lonely for someone like me who's very extroverted. Um, so it was about two years after that I met Thomas and we worked out that we had this same interest, same skill set, and maybe there was a gap in the market for it, um, which is kind of how Presentation Boss came about. We kind of went, well, let's give this a go, give it a crack. And so did you do any market research before you set up the business or did you, how did you sort of first approach it? Nowhere near as much as we should have, that's for sure. <laughs> and I think that's probably a fairly classic mistake, pretty rookie error really. We knew that there were other people out there um, and we knew how to kind of differentiate ourselves, but the market research um, was not as strong as it should have been for sure, for sure. And for our uh, for the listeners, I guess, benefit, what, what was Thomas's background? What did he bring to the business that perhaps you didn't? He was actually a pilot, so he's done a complete career change as well and the same thing like he um, didn't see that as a long-term career and so we both when we went into the business we were both like right we love presentation skills we can both do this really well we've got something to offer so we just offered presentation skills and it took us a couple of years to niche down and understand like we need to hone in on what we are actually good at so he was quite technical, had that kind of piloty knowledge, and I was quite technical. And it took us a couple of years, maybe oh, maybe eighteen months, to kind of go, why aren't we focusing on technical people? This is this is our jam. This is what we can actually speak and help people with. Um, and that's in hindsight where we should absolutely have started is niching down properly. So what sort of people do you work with now in terms of clients and technical backgrounds? I focus mostly on data analysts, the people who are working with numbers and trying to communicate those numbers. And, uh, I mean, we, we both do, um, but that's just kind of my specific niche. And he loves to target like the engineering IT type because he's massively introverted. He understands that struggle that can be sometimes to get kind of everything that's going on in your head and all of this massive knowledge and, you know, people have years and years and years of this technical knowledge and they've got 10 minutes to speak. Like you're not getting 30 years of engineering out in 10 minutes and please do not even try. So can you run me through the types of services or the help that you provide the data analysts, the engineers, people, um, you know, your clients in terms of what do you do to help them make better presentations? Yeah, so we work on a three-part system. Uh, we call it plan, design, deliver. So we break presentations down, which um, I guess when people think of presentations, they usually go straight to body language. You know, what do I do with my hands? How do I um, be more commanding in a room? And that is such a very small part of presentations. So for us, we say that 90% of the work is done before you ever get up to speak. So we teach people how to actually do that work, how to plan for their message, work out how to actually find that message that you want to communicate. 
how to get a clear structure so that it's easy for your audience to absorb. And that, so that's the plan kind of part. The second part is design. So I work very much in the data visualization area and working people out, helping people work out how to um, get their graphs and their charts looking beautiful, looking simple, looking easy to digest. And Thomas does PowerPoint here, is an absolute PowerPoint nerd, um, helping people create beautiful slides and engaging slides, you know, no bullet points and how to actually make them effective. Um, so that's the design. And then the deliver is, is that final part, the very 10% tip of the iceberg, the voice, the body language, the standing up delivering. Mm, that's really interesting. So you, you, you're the, the data visualisation specialist. Yep. So I know that Tableau is a common tool, would you say data visual, visualisation yep. tool? Uh, is that the most widely used tool uh, for data visualisation that's out there at the moment or are there, are there others as well that people would perhaps need to get across if they were going to move into this area? Oh, okay, two big questions there. Um, so Tableau is huge. Uh, there's hundreds of different software out there. I think Tableau and probably Power BI are your two biggest ones for data viz and both of them do absolutely beautiful work. Tableau creates gorgeous data visualizations. But I think if you are relying on your software to create your data viz, um, I think that's a very dangerous space to be in. I think it's the same as saying like, well, you've got Microsoft Word, therefore you know how to write a book. Your tool is simply that it is a tool. You need to understand what's sitting behind it first before you go and um, and just start creating things because you can create some incredibly complex and you can ruin your story. You can make something very difficult to understand. But God, it looks beautiful. Yeah. And I think you've got to look at the purpose of what you're trying to do, which is communicate a message, not to create a pretty picture. The second part to my question was, I guess, what other tools would people need to to, to move into a data analyst role, what sort of other tools would they need to be upskilled in? Yeah, I mean, you've definitely got to have a basic knowledge of Excel or some sort of like database software. Tableau and Power BI, are, it'll really be dependent on the company that you work for. I honestly advocate for a pen and paper. For data viz, I get people to sit there and sketch out what they actually want to do, whether they're using Excel, Power BI, Tableau, um, uh, any other software, if you sit there and work out what do you actually need to show people, then you can go to your software and recreate that and make it look nice. Um, but if you've got your pencil and paper, what you do is you start by adding what you need as opposed to if you've got your software which creates, you know, you'll, you'll have a 100 different elements that it will give you. It will give you title, data labels, access labels, access lines, um, you know, a hundred different things. And if you try to take away, it doesn't work as well as starting from zero and going, what do I actually need to add? It's that additive approach rather than the subtractive approach because you'll never take off things that um, think, oh, maybe I should just leave that on. For someone who is, gets nervous presenting in front of people or presenting their data findings, etc. What sort of advice do you give them in terms of improving confidence, actually getting up and speaking in front of people? Yeah, um, so I think a lot of it comes from this inability to kind of get what's going on in your head 
out of your mouth and half the battle is working out what you want to say. As soon as you've honed down exactly what you want to say, it becomes a lot easier if you're just talking about these three things and you've got direction, you've got somewhere to go. It really helps to know what you're talking about and so that plan part that I was talking about earlier, we find that so much confidence is gained when we're just helping people organise their thoughts just streamline and find a through line to what's in their head. And the second thing is really understanding that people are not there to judge you on your speaking skills. People are there to understand what you're trying to tell them. They're, they want to know what it is that you um, know and what you're trying to tell them. They're not that interested in how you actually do that as long as it's clear. And understanding that people are actually on your side. That's so true. It's very similar to what I talk to people about before they prepare for an interview. So the panel, they actually want you to do well yes. because then they can get back to their day job rather than spending all their time in interviews. So I think people think that, that you know, the audience is looking for them to mess up and to make a mistake, which people actually want you to do well and they want to hear what you've got to say, don't they? For sure, for sure. And I really don't think you'd find many people who are not interested in that. And if you, you know, I'm sure they exist. And are they really the people that you want to be worrying about? Exactly. Now, I know that you and Thomas have both been involved in Toastmasters in the past. For people who don't, I, I recommend Toastmasters to a lot of my clients who lack um, confidence when it comes to public speaking and presenting. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about Toastmasters and what someone could get out of attending that type of club? Yeah, I think Toastmasters is absolutely brilliant. It is one of the best places to start with speaking. Um, the awful thing about speaking is, or about public speaking is that it is exactly that. It's public. If you're learning any other skill, like if you're learning the piano, you can go and sit in a dark room by yourself and practice. That's so true. <laughs> but with speaking and public speaking, you have to practice in front of people. So Toastmasters is um, a club. You generally have around 20 people in a club and they come together every fortnight, week, month, depending on the club, and practice speaking. So there's a couple of different types of speaking. There's prepared speaking, so something that you've got a few weeks to prepare for and you would talk for five, seven minutes or so. And then there's also impromptu speaking. So you'd be given a prompt and you have one or two minutes to talk about that on the spot and everyone's there for the same reason. It's the most supportive, wonderful environment and I highly, highly recommend it. I've seen people join and it has literally taken them six months to stand up and say their name and then after a year or two, they're quite comfortable talking for seven minutes about something and then, you know, their time's up and they're like, wait, 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 I haven't finished. And the transformation and seeing people come out of their shell like that is incredible. Wow, that's amazing. And when you mentioned before about the impromptu topics, I know for a lot of people that sounds quite scary. Are the topics um, professional, professionally based, like around current affairs or business, or, the, or could they be fun topics like your favourite holiday or your favourite food? They could be a mix of anything. Um, often there are a little bit 
more fun because it allows you to get to know people in the room in more than just a professional sense. But also it's just the practice, you know, if someone asks you what's your favourite holiday, it's purely the practice of being able to speak in front of people and being able to articulate your thoughts. And those skills are directly transferable then because if then someone asks you in an interview what's, um, you know, a conflict situation that you've been involved in in a previous role, you have that skill of being able to organise your thoughts and say something succinctly in one or two minutes. Yeah, the skill is still there. Yeah, and such an important skill. And, look, I've had clients who have worked in sales who've joined Toastmasters and said it was the best thing they've ever done and ended up competing in international competitions over in Asia and all of that. So for anyone who's interested, they can go to the, I think it's toastmasters.org and then you can find your local chapter or your a local club that's near your area. That's correct, Kate? Yeah, I think you just go, if you just Google Toastmasters Find a Club, the first link will be the Find a Club function. I'm putting your postcode and, yeah, it tells you all the ones that are around. I know in Brisbane, like just in the tiny little Brisbane area, there's about 130 clubs. Yeah, so it's still very a very popular club or organisation yeah. to join. Just going back to your business, um, I'm interested in, you know, growing a business, it's not just about you going out and training and coaching people to, pre- to present better, but it's also sales, it's marketing, it's bookkeeping, it's IT, um, all social media, all of those things and your podcast. What transferable skills do you feel you've brought to your business from your background working in finance? Um, I'm my own bookkeeper, which is quite handy. <laughs> Although um, in saying that, um, my mum is a hairdresser, used to run her own hairdressing um, salon and I learned bookkeeping from doing that as a teenager, which I guess probably is what led me you know, to be interested in numbers to begin with. Um, honestly, so much of the business side I have learned in the last couple of years, it was a huge learning curve. Um, And I'm sure that there's been other businesses who have made this mistake of, hey, I'm really good at this thing and all I have to do is just be really good at this thing. And 10% of your business is doing the thing that you're really good at (laughs) and 90% is marketing and that's a really tough learning curve. It's fun. I think think I've got more skills now that I could transfer into a job rather than the other way around. Everyone should be forced to run their own business for a year because it's it's a learning curve. It's a really steep learning curve and learning how to, um, about your personal brand, how to market yourself, all those sorts of things. Yeah, well, from what I've seen, you guys are doing an absolutely great job with that. Um, what have been the biggest challenges for you in the earlier years of running your own business? Definitely the marketing and understanding that you need to, and I mean, this this is the same with presentations and realising that they actually overlap, um, realising that you need to communicate consistently, one consistent message, that you need to, I guess consistency is, is the big word for us and um, making sure that you're able to be seen, that has been the hugest thing because neither of us are particularly out there people in terms of social media. We didn't bring that those natural skills that some people manage to have you know even if they're 
not doing any sort of business work. Some people are just great on social media. They post lots of stuff. They know how to keep content going. And neither of us had that skill naturally. We really had to, to learn that. I think that was the hardest thing was creating content and getting it out consistently. And the podcast has been great for that because you've got people, you know, we've got um, people every week who are subscribed and they're waiting for their download. So you feel like, like you need to get it out. You're accountable to other people as well. Yeah, and it's, it looks to me like you've been very consistent with your podcast, that you do have a episode that comes out every week. And look, I love your podcast. I love, um, it's there's a lot of variety to it, but I love particularly how you dissect the TEDx talks and go through those and what you would do differently and what, what works with them and what doesn't. I just think that is a really, something really different that I hadn't seen before. And it's, um, you know, it's some really interesting episodes there. Thank you. We love our speech breakdowns and we get that a lot that um, they're people's favorite episodes for speech breakdowns. Yeah. Well, look, I, you know, I totally recommend your podcast. It's called The Presentation Boss, if anyone's looking for it. Uh, Kate, how can, it, um, if people are interested in getting you and Thomas to come out and teach them how to run better presentations and tell their story, how can they find you and find out about more about what you do? I think I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. So I'd send you to LinkedIn, just Kate Norris. Um, or presentationboss.com.au is all of our website, all of our information, our podcast and everything is there. Um, so I think, yeah, LinkedIn or the website. And I think you said before that you're obviously based in Brisbane but doing work in Sydney and in Melbourne, so definitely expanding your services uh, nationally, which is great to hear. Yeah, we'll um, fly anywhere. We love to see new cities. It's been, yeah, good fun. <laughs> Although we're all a little bit hampered with the, with yeah. the current situation. <laughs> well, look, Kate, it's been great to chat with you. And I think your way you've pivoted from being a data analyst into uh, a presentation coach, I think it's such an interesting story. And you've provided some great tips to people who are interested in improving their presentation skills. So thank you for coming on the podcast. And I wish you and Thomas all the best for the remainder of the year with your business. Thank you so much, Leah, and same with yourself. I hope that um, things settle down for you guys down there as well and that it all gets back to normal as soon as we possibly can. Let's hope so. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Leah. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Relaunch Your Career. If you did, please subscribe, share with your friends, leave a review or connect with us on social media at Relaunch Me Career Consulting. If you have any questions about the episode or the work that we do, then contact us via the website relaunchme.com.au. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.